Welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is my friend Josiah Jenkins, and he talks to me about his love of the law. And one of the ways that he proves his love <laughs> is that he's actually a professional lawyer and has been for uh, about, he's been working for the same law office for four years in one capacity or another. Um, this all while being a uh, actor improviser here in Chicago. So um, it, it was really interesting to find that out and to talk to him about it because I know kind of how the law works, but he was able to really spell out um, the beginning of a civil court case uh, to the uh, end of a civil court case and how he would uh, factor into those um, proceedings and uh, the kinds of things that can take. It was just really interesting and uh, and kind of not necessarily frustrating, but I think you'll be able to read my um, <laughs> distaste for the uh, uh, process and just on a personal level because I I think being a lawyer takes a really specific kind of person to be able to just find an angle and stick with it and argue it. And I don't know. I'm just such a – I like being able to weigh all my options and not having to just – uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe that just makes me a hypocritical dummy, but I, I like not having to just know that there's one right answer. I, I think, um, being a lawyer really takes a lot in terms of having to fight for one answer for your client, um, and convince yourself that that's the right one, or at least know that it's your job to, <laughs> uh, to portray that that's the right one. So that was a really interesting aspect of this for sure. Um, I mean, he's firsthand talking about uh, his job as um, a lawyer, most specifically in um, employment cases. So anyone who's been um, uh, discriminated against or wrongfully terminated or, or, or anything of that nature in their job. So pretty cool pretty uh uh admirable stuff in the long run uh so i hope everyone enjoys this uh, josiah was worried that it was boring i can assure you it is not um i think anyone thinks what they well that's probably not true a lot of people think what they do is boring but because other people don't know as much about it as you do i think there's always an inherent interesting aspect to it um and that's something that this show is kind of about uh speaking of shows this one kind of crossed over with josiah's podcast this week uh, his show is called the remake he does it with past guests to the show rob grabowski i've been on it before and they had myself and ryan ben back on to talk about the oscars um 
we all watched the ceremony, got together, talked about what we liked and what we didn't, and then how we would remake the Oscars. And it was really fun. Uh, and uh, we recorded it after the Oscars had already gone off the air, or like immediately after the Oscars ended, so it went pretty late. Um, so there's some sillies in there. <laughs> um, but check that out uh, if you want to hear some fun past MBS and guests talking about the Oscars um, and, you know, complete the circle for this whole crossover thing, right? Uh, but uh, thank you so much for listening. I think the only plug I have is a continued one on Thursdays at 8, Fishbowl at the Annoyance, hosted by my improv group, Sight Unseen. Especially if you're an Annoyance student, come check that out. If you're not a student, come anyway. There's been some really good improv going on there, and I've really become fond of it. Um, today is election day for our mayor in Chicago. I hope people went out and voted. This is in vain because it will go out after this has happened, but uh, this is just, you know, a a post um, election reminder that if you didn't vote, you should feel guilty because uh, it's a privilege and we should take advantage of it. Uh, It's not a privilege. It's a right. It's a right, and we should take advantage of it because we should be able to factor into how our city functions. Um, I think that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this, and listen to the remake as well because Rob and Josiah have a lot of good, fun times over there, and I was glad to have Josiah for some good, fun times here on MBSing. Thanks. That's, you know, and it, that's right too. And other thing is, like, it's just enjoyable. Like, yeah. and, and it's it's fun because I don't create enough tangible work that I exactly. would like. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. You know, and so it's like it's like the middle ground between just pure bullshitting and having a real thing that, that you created. That is like the best way to sum it up because I am really proud of this and I enjoy it so much. Yeah. And it's literally hours of physical, like. <laughs> A physical thing that I yes, that I yeah, made yeah, yeah. that I'm a part of, but it's so true that it's yeah. like not as <laughs> like effort based as other things yeah. could yeah, be. I didn't write like a, I, I'm not writing like a like a Garrison Keillor show every. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't like, know why even, that's like the choice. But. Even um even as a, as what I think is a great example of this, even um Mel Evans and Mark Coulomb on yeah. An Hour with Your Ex. They very often will choose like uh, a specific thing to like write towards. Yes, they'll yeah, both do yeah, written yeah. pieces. Yeah. They'll field questions from like people who I listen know. to the show. They do so much more work than <laughs> well, I do. You know, and ours has a writing component built into. Oh, that's it too. true. Yeah. If we, but. There's certainly episodes where Rob and I show up and we're like, fuck, man, I don't, I don't know what it's going to be. I don't have anything like slap slap. I can't imagine. <laughs> Just make it up. Because I know? thought it was pretty hard when I did it. And yeah. it was like a movie that I love. Yeah, it, it's funny, though. It's such a good critical challenge. And I've seen a lot of movies I'd never seen otherwise and would not have watched on my I'm own. I'm sure. You know, good and bad. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> so, What's the best movie that you've seen as a result of the podcast that you hadn't seen before? W- this doesn't 100% technically count, but uh, uh, E.T. Oh, yeah. I had seen as a child, and I was bored by it, I guess, or I didn't get it. I mean, I don't think I got it when I watched yeah. it either. And watching it as a doll, it's like, this is a good this movie that great. I like a didn't lot and understand. did Matt be a remake that? <laughs> yes. What was his, like, qualm with it that he thought it... Does he think he it's did, bad, or did he just, like, want to update it? He did not like the psychic link thing. Oh. Which, I, but I don't but know. But that's like, kind of one of the most interesting parts of the story. You know, it's like we just did The Fifth Element, actually. It hasn't come out yet. Oh, I've but, never uh, seen uh, The Fifth, Fifth Element. I've but, never seen it either, yeah. and I loved it. To me, it was it's on the level of Jurassic Park or Back to the Future, where okay. it's... It's not like Citizen Kane or, or what have you, but it's like, wow, this is such a good movie that's really fun. Oh, sure, 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 like, sure. It's not like Citizen Kane. <laughs> Which is my, that's my actual favorite movie. Really? Yes. Oh, gosh. And hands down. I, when did you see it? And like, what was the okay. context? So I had heard of it as being the greatest movie of all time, so right. I was already primed to like it. When, what point in your life was it? That was when the AFI list came out, so I must have been like 12 or something. Wow, okay. You know, and I, but I didn't see it then. I, it was on TV when I was 14. It was a sat, I remember it was a Saturday night, and um, yeah, like I think about 14. So it was Saturday night, and it came on, on, maybe Turner Classic Movies had just come to our cable, or uh. it might have been on like, USA or something like very unusual to have it but it was on and so I was like well I'm gonna watch this and so yeah. I stayed up until like two in the morning to watch it because it had as I think it had commercials and stuff so as it probably been. like high school freshman or something yes yes like a high school freshman and uh, uh, Orson Welles in that movie reminded me so much of my oldest brother oh. and like a conception I had and it's just it told this it, it, it's an amazing have you seen it yeah I, I think it's an amazing movie because it tells like this huge story it does in such a it's such an economy of time, like every time we watch a bad movie on our podcast, oh yeah, I'm like Jesus, this movie or like Fireproof is a two and a half hour movie, yeah yeah, and it's like I've how, never seen that, but yeah, it's fucking I, sucks. I can imagine, I can imagine, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. And I'm like, how does it take two and a half hours to tell such a bad story? Yeah, man, like, I we're probably so uh, I so we're recording an uh, an Oscars episode of the remake tomorrow, yeah, yeah. Um, which will already be out by the time this is, I think, I think, yeah, uh, yeah, because I'll, this will go out Wednesday. Yeah, the goal is to put the Oscar one out Monday. Monday. I think we're cool. going to just do it after that, we record. Yeah, that's what I thought the plan was. Yeah. So cool. Um, but So we'll probably talk about this then, but last night, Eric and I watched American Sniper, because it was the last Best Picture nominee that uh-huh. I hadn't seen yet, and that is how I feel about American Sniper. They had two hours to tell a story, and like... It just doesn't feel like a story. It just feels like a bunch of scenes thrown together. So it's funny. I saw American Sniper despite not seeing movies that I was more interested to see from the best really? picture list. I'm hoping to hit two of them tomorrow before yeah. we record. But, How um, many have you seen so far? Uh, I, I mean, the list, it's funny. It's not even the ones that, I, like, so The Imitation Game, Which American Sniper. I thought was one of the weaker ones as Yeah, well. yeah. And, and I, I liked Imitation Game better than I thought I would. Uh, I made the mistake of saying to some people yesterday that I thought it was fun, which isn't true. Oh, boy. Fun's the, fun's the wrong word. And no. especially at the end, it's very depressing. But, yeah. But to me, it was a sports movie where math was the sport. Oh, that's a really interesting way to look at it, yeah. Because that's how I felt. And that, it, so at the end, it's like very tragic, and I think Benedict Cumberbatch had a great performance. He did. But to me, it was like all the tro- spoilers, I guess, all the tropes like of like... 
if he's off the team, I'm off the team. Yeah, like, and like, yeah, and even the beginning tropes of like, oh, you brought in a, a kid from out of town who's better than us. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. all, everything. And, yeah. My problem. And the coach, you know, Charles yeah. Dance is the coach, basically, who's like, one more mistake, and you're yeah, out of here. That you know? is hilarious. I never would have thought about it. That is an, an interesting way to read it. My problem with that is that I think that the the, the actual story of Alan Turing yes, yeah. is more interesting than the story that was the told. way that the story was told in the movie. Yes. That's my problem with it. Is that his story is fascinating and yeah. important and sad, so fucking sad. So sad, yeah. And and I feel like they just like scratch the surface of all that. Well, and I have a problem with like the framing device of it too of it's this cop who didn't want to bring Alan Turing yeah, in. Yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. like, why? He must be a made-up And also, character. have you seen um, Black Mirror? No, no. Oh, in the very first episode of Black Mirror, the guy who plays the cop plays the Prime Minister of England. Okay, and, yeah. And, it, and like, uh, he, this is like, a lot of people know, I knew about this before I saw the show, um, but the, the setup of the first episode, it's kind of like Twilight Zone, it's all yeah, episodic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the first episode, he plays the Prime Minister, and the Prime Minister has received a blackmail message that he has to have sex with a pig on live television, or the princess that has been kidnapped will be murdered. Oh, wow. So it's like, boom, that's the yeah. first five minutes of the show. So it's not even like I'm giving anything away. Yeah, you would yeah, know yeah. that information at the very beginning. So And then it's just like a time bomb of, like, will he... Exactly. Is he going to do it? Are they going to find the... Are they going to get the princess back before he's supposed to do it? All this stuff. It's crazy. It's yeah. really crazy. And then it, that episode is, like, the only one that's like that that's really on, like, well, maybe one or two others that are on, uh, like, a national level. Most of the others are on a more personal yeah, level, yeah, yeah. which I find more interesting. Anyway... Watching Imitation Game and seeing this the cop character be like the second character you see in the movie or something yeah. like that really really early on I was like Eric and I both were like oh PM gonna fuck that pig like it was just like very distracting yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well no and that's I, I, that's interesting because I didn't know him from that but it, yeah. I liked it better than I thought I would but uh-huh. it was not to me like it would. I mean, it's a better movie than, like, Gladiator. Oh, yeah. But, I think. Well, but, yeah. I don't yeah. know. It's just, I don't like... Gladiator's just, like, not my type of movie. I, I don't like big epic I movies. think it's crazy that it won Best Picture. Oh, yes. Agreed. Even I, don't I think even, it's a good movie. I don't even know if I've ever even seen the whole thing. Sure. Because uh, I saw the first hour, and I was like, ugh, I get it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. get two more hours of this. You know, so if that won tomorrow, I'd be like, what the... Oh, and there's... Yeah, yeah. there's no way, but... Um, I saw Birdman also, which I liked, but didn't... I feel like people either loved or hated it, and I just liked it. Uh, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the love camp. Yeah, I'm going to watch Boyhood tomorrow morning, which is the movie nice. I was most excited about all year. Are, and I just haven't seen it yet. That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, but American Sniper, to, to go back to your original point, yeah. was interesting to me, too, because you're right. Like, it, it it's too big a story that it's telling. Like, yeah. in terms of... Li- like, it... It needed to choose what movie it wanted to yes, be. I think, exactly. like, was it about I, I think PTSD? Eric said exactly the same thing. Yeah. yeah, was it about PTSD or was it a video game story of this amazing Being sniper? Being a hero, who, yeah, yeah. You know, and I thought, like, and I understand the point's supposed to be like, you know, he's this big hero abroad, and then he comes home and like his life. But you is don't this get thing. enough of either one to care about yes. any of it. Yeah, and. Br- to his credit, Bradley Cooper did a great job. I think he does. He gives an amazing performance. He's just the only character that's fully fleshed out. Yes, you don't know. Like people start when people start like getting killed in, uh, overseas, 
and it's like characters that have been introduced in like the early scenes yeah. overseas. I still was just like, I don't know, I don't care. Like, I don't know who that is. Yeah, I, it yeah. was so, it was so odd. It was so odd. Yeah, I did. I mean, I didn't expect to like the movie. Which I thought would maybe help me give it the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I, and, like, even with that, I liked it okay, I guess. I yeah. just didn't... It just, I, I think uh, I liked the central... Perf- I was impressed by the central performance. He's very good. Yeah. He's very good. That Even, like, after the first few scenes, I just started laughing. Because it's like, when he... So the dad has the two sons sitting at the, like, dinner table. Yeah, he's yeah. like, let me tell you a little story about sheep and wolves and sheep dogs. <laughs> and it's, like, so absurd. And you're two minutes into the movie. Yeah. Um, anyway. Here that, in this family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, a wolf will only fight when he needs to. Yeah, <laughs> God, it was... And, like, ugh, just... That, uh, so like, like, stilted. The dialogue is just so stilted. Yeah, uh, but he gives Bradley Cooper gives a great performance. There is an actual line in that movie. After I just mentioned that the, the yeah. guy, I think it's in the same scene when that guy gets shot, and I was like, I don't care. I'm pretty sure the line that like is at the very end of that scene is. <laughs> He's dead, bro. <laughs> Mike's dead, bro. He says his name. He they, and they're like looking at him, and he like yeah. looks up at Bradley Cooper's character, and he's like, "Mike's dead, bro." And it's <laughs> I'm like, how am I supposed to take this serious? Well, and it's you know the movie does like such a rush job too on like trying to like build up something that you would care about with a character who's yes. going to die soon. Yes. Oh. Uh, you're, this guy is getting married and his life's very promising. Exactly. And, you're and like, then it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know the next second is going to be. Something bad's got to happen because he's like, the only character I know anything about. That was how every scene was. Yeah. It was like, first of all, it's, uh, I don't I don't want to harp on this, but yeah. last thing. Um, he's on the phone with his wife, finding out that she's pregnant again, I think. Yeah. Or like about to have the, uh, yeah, pregnant yeah. again. I don't remember. Also, he just talks on the phone anywhere. Yes, that's that's how that's the point I was about to bring up is that that can't be realistic, I, right? I mean, I I know that phone technology, et cetera, et cetera, but right, I like I assume you have to be on base. I have right? talked to soldiers while they were overseas before, and it's like you have to like plan. It's yeah. like a weird phone number. Because why would the government possibly be like, yeah, take a cell phone out on your you sniper can't, it visit. It doesn't happen and then the fo- and then they make this big dramatic thing about like the phone being in the Jeep yeah. while I mean, like <laughs> people are getting shot at and his wife, that's like exactly why that wouldn't happen because yeah. his wife yes. was terrified. And maybe, who knows, maybe that's what they do. I just can't imagine it. Maybe it is how it is. I'm just- calling bullshit, Clint. <laughs> I'm calling bullshit. Speaking of calling bullshit, Bullshit. <laughs> Today's guest is Josiah Jenkins. We did it. <laughs> uh, oh, and he's man. going to be talking to me about his love of love. slash passion for Pat- interest in... Yeah, education in Education <laughs> in no. law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So, uh, what's the origin there? Yeah, interesting. So, I, uh, it's when I was 12, I had a life plan for myself. Uh, and you also read the AFI Top 100. Yeah, Citizen <laughs> so I was a very typical 12-year-old. I did all the 12-year things. Read the AFI list. Uh, had a life plan. <laughs> so my, my, my life plan, even up to age, I would say 12, which I think is late to have this plan, is that uh, I would be I would go to Harvard. Uh, didn't didn't quite happen. Didn't quite happen. Uh, although 
I didn't even apply there when the time came. Yeah, I feel uh, like that happens. Well, when you're a kid, you just don't know that many colleges. Yeah, it's a thing that and I've heard like, of. Yeah. I know the best colleges, <laughs> Yale. You yeah, know? yeah, I know Harvard, the school my parents went to. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. So, and like the in-state schools where you're from. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so I, I would uh, do that. I would... Uh, Play pro football, of course. Uh, go to Harvard, play pro football. <laughs> uh, then after I finished my pro football career, I would go and become a lawyer, and then senator, and then president. That was the, the life plan. Uh, I'm one your- for five. <laughs> I hit one of the goals. Uh, pretty good, I guess. Hey, one out of five ain't bad. <laughs> not bad, not bad. Uh, what, what team would you have wanted to play for? Oh, the Vikings. Okay, Big I figured, because I thought you were a Minnesota fan. Yeah, so Minnesota-born, North Dakota raised. That's uh, what I was Yeah, and uh, remembering. And <laughs> I knew you had Minnesota roots. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all my extended family is there. Uh, that's where my parents were from. Uh, and then in North Dakota, there are there's nothing else. I mean, like t- sports wise. Oh, so it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. Right. there's no North Dakota team to cheer for other than college. And so sure, uh, it's a big Vikings fan, big Twins fan. Mm-hmm. So the Timberwolves, Kevin oh. Garnett's back. Yeah, baby. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> this will be the episode where I don't talk about law at all. Nope. <laughs> Uh, uh, I speak, but only because I'll keep derailing it. <laughs> yeah, good, good, yeah, please. Uh, and so, uh, but anyway, so that, but then, you know, I went to college, and then college, I thought, like, maybe I'll go to law school, and then I decided not to. Um, so, where did you, what, you went to? Uh, so, I went to Northwestern, okay. um, which brought me out to Chicago. That makes sense. Yep, yep. And then I, uh, uh, I wasn't going to do law school. I worked in admissions for two years. Um, What'd you major in? I was a history major. Okay. Um, I did a lot of early American history stuff and then, like, 1960s, like, cultural history. Uh, classic law school uh, <laughs> BA, uh, BA. Yeah, yeah, classic pre-law BA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was in the poetry program. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, yes. so that was good. Uh, uh, someday, if anyone wants to get me drunk, I'm... <laughs> you will probably you read something. read your own poetry? I would read my own poetry. Yes, baby! <laughs> Some shots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing shot motions. I guess yeah, that's yeah, yeah. play. I think that the sounds accompanying the shot motions made it clear enough. Yeah, clear enough for the listener. Uh, uh, yeah, and so uh, I worked in two years in admissions. I like ran the tour guide program. Cool. I was a tour guide at my school as well while I was there. Yeah, it's great. It's a it's, you it's know it's a great gig. And so um, uh, Obama was. Is two thousand? The year was two thousand eight. <laughs> the presidential candidate Barack Obama, and uh, I was like super inspired by him, mm-hmm. like a lot of young people were. Uh, and in fact, I still, even though I don't have to do this, I'll go on record saying I think he's done a good job. Uh, hey, me too, bro. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, that guy passed healthcare, which yeah, like it did. Were there a lot of shitty compromises? Yes, but and like, is the program as it's set up perfect? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, but I mean, like, he did the thing that every Democrat since FDR has tried to do unsuccessfully. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's it's a start. Yeah, and I think the stimulus worked. And anyway, but so I was like very inspired. I was like, you know what? I want to like go into policy. I want to work, you know, in this field. And so I decided I would go to law school and then I'd work in policy. And then somewhere along the way in law school, I ended up just becoming a lawyer. So. Wow. Yeah, uh, uh, and so yeah, and I'm always uh, so I, you went to you ended so you did admissions for a couple years and then did law school. And then I went to law okay, school. Okay, so yeah. you did eventually end up doing it. Yeah, where'd you go to law school? Uh, so I went to Chicago Kent College of Law. Chicago well, Kent College of Law. Well, yeah, down in the West Loop. Uh, uh yeah. I interject briefly. Do you know Bill Green? 
He's no, an improviser. I don't think so. uh, he did the podcast and he talked about politics. Um, and he cited the same thing as being a huge inspiration for him was that, like, while he was in college, Barack, like, successfully ran his yeah. 08 campaign. And he was just like, I have to change the world. So it's, like, really sweet to hear <laughs> yeah. two guys who are, like, passionate about politics and law. Be, like, that's the thing that really sparked it. Well, yeah, and I'd always had an interest, but it was, like, so cool to... It was, like, this moment where, like, the hope was so high. Yeah, you know, baby. not just the, the campaign slogan, right. but the idea of, like, change. real change. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which, you know, of which there was... Uh, uh, plenty. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's been tough, tough slog since then, but, uh, you know, after the first two years. But, yeah, I mean, and, and so I ended up being like, oh, I guess I'm becoming a lawyer after all. Uh, and uh, uh, now I work at, like, a little employment discrimination firm. Really? Uh, yeah, quick plug. It's called, uh, I hope this is okay with the legal ethics rules. <laughs> uh, it's called Goldman and Ehrlich. Uh uh, look me up if you're having trouble at work. Uh, that is so cool. Yeah. I what I I don't even think I knew that you like still that was still what you were doing professionally. Yeah, so I'm a I'm a bona fide lawyer. So uh, what most of the things are like being wrongfully terminated or what would the yeah so uh, so I would say that. Um, most of our caseload is people who uh, are victims of employment discrimination of some sort. So um, wrongful termination is a great example. Could be whistleblowing thing. Could be race, gender, disability, etc. Man, um, people, that's great. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's good work. It, it is good work. Uh, we also do like you know people who aren't getting accommodated at work uh, for their disabilities, or you do, you know you got like Passover for comp. Or well, we don't do workman's comp, which is its own separate thing. Yeah. Um, some of our clients also are pursuing workman's comp issues, oh. but we're working to get them accommodations so they can continue working, whereas Workers' Comp is looking to pay them for... Not being able to work. Yeah. Got it, got it. And got so, um, you know, or we'll do, um, you know, pe- fail- people who weren't promoted um, or weren't selected for a position or, Oh, interesting. Know, suspensions, et cetera, et cetera. Is there, is there really, like, you can take legal action for not being receiving a promotion absolutely if, yeah. if there's like discrimination involved especially i would think yeah so it, it, it's a, to, to speak about my like specific field so the, yeah, there's a, a requirement please. in every case you need to have something called an adverse employment action okay and so that a termination is the best example of that because you're losing all of your employment and it's adverse to you sure but yeah not getting uh, a promotion is an example of it getting demoted is an example um, you know, if you're forced to take a pay cut, that can be an example. Um, there are things that are on the borderline. So you get a bad performance review, probably that's not enough, but maybe your performance review is tied to your yearly bonus or something like uh, that. So then that is enough in those cases. Wow. Uh, that's so interesting. Uh, what is, so is that, did you have any other, once you finished law school, uh, I guess, like, walk me through, like, what that was like, I guess. Yeah, so law school, it's funny, too, because I don't really know, coming over here, I was trying to remember, like, what I knew about the legal system before working in it, uh-huh. uh, so please feel free to stop me at any point, because uh, I, I remember, like, reading a book beforehand and being like, oh, that's how the court system is set up, Yeah. and not really having known, like, the way it worked, and I'll be happy to talk about that if that's interesting, but, um... Yeah, so... Um, I would love... Yeah, yeah, I would love for you to, but it, continue a little in this yeah, thought little, process first. Yeah, yeah, so um, so law school is three years, uh-huh. um, and uh, after my first summer, uh, or 
during my first summer, I ended up working at the legal clinic, which is like they provide like low cost legal services to people um, at my school. Cool. Um, and I happened to be in the employment discrimination section of that. And that oh, was the, wow. The, and that had been the first time I'd ever really. It was the job that would hire me, basically. Yeah. And like, uh, uh, I mean, my grades were good and everything, but I had no connections, et cetera, et cetera. No, I, I know that's a really difficult thing uh, where law is concerned. It's like just because you go to law school doesn't mean you're going to become a lawyer somewhere. Yeah, it's well, hard to get hired. And the job market in the legal field was compressed, I would say, even more than in the country as a whole because, wow. you know, you had... You had two forces at work. So you had the economy tanking. And so, legal, yes. like, all the top firms were shedding tons of employees oh, yeah. who were all filtering down the stream to smaller firms and other opportunities. That they were probably, like, overqualified for. Sure, absolutely. something. You know, and so then, who am I going to hire? Someone with five years' experience I can get at the same price or some oh, new graduate? right out of school. Yeah, yeah exactly. screwed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the other factor you had, though, was a bunch of people were like, oh, I just lost my job. I've always thought about going to law school. Time to oh. go into law school and do that. And so you have like so funny. I knew that there had been in the last few years a like uptick in people going to law school. Yeah, and that's starting to level out now. I think as people see that it's not necessarily the great financial deal that that's it was like culturally so, thought of as being. Yeah, yeah, how interesting. Yeah, it, and I'll tell you what. If you're thinking about going to law school. I don't even know if I would say do it. I, wow. I don't know that it's a good financial bargain. Wow. Uh, unless you really want to be a lawyer and then do or it. Or, like, already have connections or something. Yeah, it certainly wouldn't hurt. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, speaking of someone with none. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, so I worked that that summer, and that got me interested in employment discrimination. Then I applied at my current employer through just, like, internal career services, um, and uh, I ended up getting a job, so I clerked, just working hourly for yeah. them, part-time. Um, and then and that ended up becoming full-time during the summers, and then they held me on, and I kept working for them on an hourly basis after passing the bar, and then they made me an associate. So it was great, and we're a very small firm, so it was like the first associate they'd ever hired. That's awesome. Yeah, so it's cool. Yeah, it's great. It's and kind of, it's also really, so how long is it, how long have you worked there? So I started in May of 2011 as a clerk. Yeah, yeah, May of 2011. That's so great. Yeah, so I've been there f- almost four years now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Congrets. Uh, yeah, I guess. Wow, I, I haven't mean, even like, thought of it as yeah, being that long. I yeah. feel like that's like... The way to go, though, you know, is is to get in somewhere while you're still a student, make a good enough impression that, like, if you like it, it's still an option once you're done. Yeah, and I'm happy it's good work, you know, which was important to me in terms of, like, that I help people who sure. have aggrieved in some fashion, even sure. if, you know, it turns out that the situation was different than, yeah. you know, what they wanted That's or That's so funny. Uh, as, a, as a small interjection, um, I'll preface... Uh, a question I I want you to talk about like the actual legal system and like the typical process of what it would be like for you to like receive a case and it go through yeah yeah Um, but as a preface to that uh, first of all my mother has been the uh, office manager of a lawyer's office for 20 years over the same one uh, for for over 20 years Um, and uh, so like I grew up like going to her office all the time, but there, uh, so there were three lawyers, and they mostly did like she mostly worked with like real estate and wills and things like that. But there were there's a couple other lawyers who do or did um, 
more like custody cases and family law. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it was those were like kind of the focuses were like real estate, family, more like personal things. You small town like lawyers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so first thing, second thing, at my job we are a uh, uh, chromatography lab. Uh, chromatography is used very extensively in forensic science. Okay. So we teach classes for mostly DUI and DWI defense attorneys about forensic science. Wow. Wait, so what is chromatography? Um, it's the, it's a separation science. So, um, the way that it would be used in forensics is, uh, like if you were testing a blood sample, you could test its blood alcohol level. So it would like separate, oh, like this is, this peak um, so it has a, like a, a, a column uh-huh. that chemically separates the components of the sample that you're putting in. So depending on what the chemistry of the component is, is mean, uh, dictates how long it takes to travel through the column. Uh-huh. So the ethanol peak takes a certain X amount of time to travel through the column, the, you know, and then whatever other peaks would be in a blood sample. Similarly for, uh, drug testing, uh, 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 literally like solid drug testing if they put it on a, a, a gas chromatography, a GCMS, which is gas chromatography, gas chromatograph mass spectroscopy, which is just... Sure. Yeah, <laughs> another... It's just like, that's why we abbreviate things because they're just long words. But yeah. GCMS um, defines each peak for exactly what it is. So you can you can click on a peak... And it knows based on where, again, where it comes off on Uh that column, whether that peak is like cocaine or methamphetamine or or whatever. So we teach the lawyers the science behind those practices so that they can better defend their... Yeah, which makes sense, I guess, because if you don't have any understanding of it... I mean, it's funny how little expertise you can get by with in certain fields, like... But you need to know a little something, I would think, especially with those guys that are doing that stuff... Constantly, that evidence was exactly. Be so the the weird the weird thing for us is that uh, so we also teach we also teach scientists. So we have like plants. Our main function is for is to train scientists. Hmm. So forensic scientists can come and take the classes too. Um, but like yeah, like you're saying, like for a long time, the lawyers would just. Like, didn't have a, a good enough understanding of forensic science to even question any result, you know? So yeah, it's like, yeah. well, here's the results. It's cocaine, you know? And, <laughs> and the lawyer's like, well, like, guess you're fucked because this is cocaine. Yeah. But it's like, but lab practices are, are very poorly regulated. There's no, hmm. um, so for the food, like, the FDA and the EPA are federally regulating those Fields. There's no federal regulating body for forensic science. Huh, yeah. So from state to state and from lab to lab, there are different regulations. It's impossible to... Uh, it, it's, it's horrible. It's horribly run. Yeah. So, like, we're kind of backdooring that being poor. But does, if By equipping the... The defense attorneys with the tools to say, like, this is a failure of the standard of... Correct. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, I say all that to say, that is my experience with law. Sure, yeah. Uh, I, I, th- I think that's where it begins and ends. <laughs> yeah, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, let's... I, once again, if this is all boring to 
Uh, are no, we done give it, it to me. Give it to know, me. So, it. Okay, so you know, the, <laughs> the legal system, generally speaking, you know, separated in America and criminal and civil law, um, and it's what's called a common law tradition in America. So um, we trace our law back to Britain, basically. Okay. So when uh, in old Great Britain, um, one of the good things about the judiciary is for some reason it always sort of made the right choice in terms of being on the side of the people in power. So it was the kings when the kings were powerful, you know, when the kings would be deposed, the courts would remain basically untouched, uh, you know, when it became more democratized, they were sort of, the courts were seen as being part of the agents of democracy, and so, you know, you had this court system that really grew and built. Yeah. Um, you know, and and at that time, there were no statutes, really, like we have today. Yeah. There were very few, and so... Our whole legal system in America is ba- built on the idea that judges make decisions and then those become the law. Oh. You know, and so over time, like, judges have reasoned and built the law into what it's meant to be. Now, of course, in America, we've had tons of statutes now, and that's, yeah. that's been like an international movement, you know, so yeah. you have what's more a code law system, which is like what the French uh, legal system is based on. Interesting. Where, and, I wouldn't have thought about it like that, that the evolution has made it into a different thing. Yeah, so I mean, and, but it's still somewhere in between. So like right. in France, theoretically, you know, the idea behind the Napoleonic Code, which was like the big, major, like modern, important code, uh-huh. um, was that the code itself was perfect. <laughs> and, and therefore, you had no need for judges to interpret it uh, because simply the code itself, it had it all. How French. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, uh, very... This is red, Code is love. I apologize. Oh. <laughs> that is highly offensive. Uh, you know what, man? Yeah, I don't know. I'm saying it here and now. If you French and you listen to this, <laughs> burn it down, baby. <laughs> Unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. <laughs> I'll oh, lose man. one of my four subscribers. <laughs> what if that really were true? If 25% of my listenership yeah. was French and I just. <laughs> yeah, what if you're like basically a Jerry Lewis? Like, Super popular in France. <laughs> really going to be a lot of disappointed people. Uh, uh, but yeah, so unlike those, you know, fucking Frenchmen, uh, you know, our legal system is based on the idea that these judges are the ones who like made the decisions, and sure. and so like there's a lot of things that we would call like a common law cause of action because it's from such old. Common law, like battery, is a great example. So oh, you know, you yeah. know, it's very clearly decided through Somebody hundreds of decisions. Someone. Yeah, and, and then there's, but there's all sorts of iterations of it. So uh, a classic self-defense. Versus- well, yeah, sure. There's self-defense. Um, there's offensive battery. So um, I touch you in a way that's not harmful to you, but it's highly offensive. Oh, wow. Or I, or I spit on you, or I, you know, hit you with, uh, you know, let's say I have a feather and I hit you with a feather, but. Unbeknownst to me, you have a terrible feather allergy. Oh, you, sure, sure, it, sure. Is that a battery? You've come to harm. Yeah. Something bad has happened to you as a result of my purposeful physical action. Or, you know, is that excusable yeah. in some way? Yeah. And so these are the, 
sort of things that you, what you get. What a nightmare. Yeah, so this is, <laughs> let's really get in the weeds. <laughs> no, but like, and so there's a great, uh, one of the cases that's in every torts book, uh, and a tort basically is a harm. Yeah, you said that, and I was like, oh. Yeah, so a tort, I, it's hard to explain what a tort is, I guess, other than to say um, that. It's like a small little fruit dish. Yeah, a tort is a little fruit dish, <laughs> usually a custard. Um, you have kiwi, strawberry. <laughs> And that's, I'm sorry. <laughs> as in bakery, so in the law. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you're talking about a tort book, it's just a book about just, how to make torts. Or a delicious book made of torts. <laughs> I like that better. Yeah, you open it up and there's fruit in there. It's just a... It's like one of those hollowed out Bibles. But it's just <laughs> yeah, but a tort it's on <laughs> So yeah, so a tort in the law, though, other than, you know, that... Uh, being delicious. Other than being desserts. delicious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's basically any... It's the umbrella term for any wrong you can do to someone that's compensable in a civil court, but wow. meaning you can get money for it. So okay. it include it, a tort includes battery or assault or false imprisonment, you know things you do on purpose or uh, intentional infliction of emotional distress. Wow, you know, and it ranges from that to. Um, uh, a negligence action. So you're driving a car, you doze off behind the wheel, and you hurt someone. That's wow. a tort. Sure. Um, or uh, it also includes things like products liability. So I make a screwdriver. Um, I know or have reason to know that this screwdriver explodes or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you said products liability and just screwdriver, I was like, ooh, where is this going? <laughs> well, yeah, no, nothing that exciting. It, it takes a mind of its own and like <laughs> yeah, it, it becomes forces, sentient. Yeah, forces users to uh, put it into their own eye. Well, one of my favorite legal cases uh, is uh, it's uh, there's this whole category of things called ultra hazardous activities. Ultra 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 hazardous activities, and there are activities that are uncommon. Uh, but are inherently dangerous. And the uncommon is important, otherwise driving would almost certainly be an ultra-hazardous activity. And with those, you are what we call strictly liable for what happens. So typically, you would be... (laughs) This is so dry. But typically, you'd be liable um, based on negligence. Um, And negligence is like basically that a reasonable person would not have acted as you did. Right. So a reasonable person would drive while so tired they're going to fall asleep on the yeah. road or fiddle with the radio or, you know, text. leave... Yeah, text while driving or leave a hole on their property that someone could fall into. Sure. You know, um... It's so funny, though. I should, this, this is so, like, to me, uh, uh, representative of law in my mind in the sense that it's like, a reasonable person wouldn't <laughs> do this. You know what I mean? It's all these words that, like, are so gray. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's funny, you know, and that's in some ways, you know, you could say it's the advantage of a common law system is it's like, look, it's just going to be people making their best judgments that they can, yeah. you know, with the guidance of history. Right. You know, and like, it's hard to make something less fuzzy than that. So to, yeah. get, to get very dry, um, there's a there's a, a formula, a formula, I'll put in quotes, um, by this uh, judge named Learned Hand, uh, who's one of the great... Yeah, Learned Hand, real name. He's one of the great jurists ever, and it's called the Hand Formula. And it's the idea of, like, when should you be required to take a precaution? So um, so let me give you an example. So you have Uh a, a, a balcony... Okay, you're a hotel. You have, a, or let's not say a hotel, because innkeepers are they held could. innkeepers are held to a higher standard than normal people. So, you have a balcony on your home. Yes. Uh, uh, and uh, 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 real quick, so innkeepers and common carriers, so like trains, um, oh. bus, bus companies, things like that, are held to the highest standards because those services must be open to everyone. And oh. through having to open them to everyone, uh, and also through like scarcity. So in the old times, like. 
you just went to the inn you could find. Uh, right. They, uh, you, it wasn't like there were more than one option. Yeah. It was more than one option. Yeah, so so his, that's a historical little quirk. But anyway, so you own a home, you have a, a balcony, okay, and you're, you're going you're gonna to have company over on occasion. Um, uh, or better yet, you own a ship, okay? Your ship company... Uh, no, they're all. I'm trying to find somebody who wouldn't so be held to a higher standard. This is terrible. This is. If, this is what happens in my mind all the time. That is so funny. Uh, okay, so you're a, a car manufacturer. Okay. Okay, um, and you have brake pad A, and uh, you could make uh, a brake that works 50% better than brake pad A, but it costs a hundred dollars more per car. And so the hand formula, the idea is. Does the cost of the extra benefit equal the probability of harm times the magnitude of the harm? Wow. But the thing is, in practice... You, it's so impossible it's to Im- define those numbers. It's impossible to define those numbers. How would you even? And so what happens is people sometimes, judges will sometimes use this formula, and they do the same thing as they would do otherwise, which is say, like, was it reasonable? Oh. And it's like a gut feeling, like, well, I feel like... If they knew 100 people would die, 100 people's blank amount, and well, it seems to me that it's a 10% chance that that would happen. <sighs> so, Man. like, so no one even, because it, it can't be really objective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you gave an example where it, like, would possibly be. <laughs> To just in terms of like they're doing crash tests and could it, it quantify the way sure, that to the some degree, reacted, yeah. but still like the magnitude of the loss, like ugh, yeah, God. it's really very hard to determine these. And things. also used reasonable, yeah, like so beyond reasonable doubt is such a like law yeah, type ab- phrase. Ab- absolutely, and you have a, a constitutional right to have beyond a reasonable doubt as your criminal standard. Right. Um, and yeah, and you're right though. I mean, it's like, what is a reasonable doubt? Yeah. And there's a lot of cases where courts are basically like, gotta just, it's however the jury defines it. <sighs> like, it's what they come up with because a lot of times judges will get in trouble trying to define that for the jury and then the convictions get overturned. Right. Um, Sometimes rightfully, depending on how it was defined. Right, right, right. And it's just like, yep, it's just whatever that means to you, basically. So what's the, um, like, what's the typical way that a case would, like, come into your office? What would your interaction with it be? How, like, what? Yeah, so let's talk about the life of, uh, to take sort of the heart of that question, but do it in a little different way. Let's say, like, you get in a car accident. Sure. Um, Pretend insurance doesn't exist. Okay. So there's no insurer. You, You know, you break your arm. Okay. okay. Um, you and the other driver hit head on in the middle of a street. Okay. Uh, not clear who's at fault necessarily, okay. but but you come to me. You want to sue the other driver. Okay. So then we go and we file your case. Um, <clears throat> we could file either in state or federal court, but to file in federal court, we have to meet certain standards. So probably your case with hitting someone in a car accident isn't going to qualify. Yeah. This is so boring. No, uh, I love it. Uh, but so you know, so federal court, you need to have one or two things. Either you and the other person are from different states, oh. and a certain amount of money is at risk. Oh, or um, there's a federal statute being violated. So, in my field of employment discrimination, we can almost always go to federal court. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, so we can always choose between the two, pretty much. Um, so, even regardless of like where people are from, or 
Anything like that. Yeah, regardless. Of, and, and you can always file an action in the state where someone is from. So you, the person was from Missouri who hit you. You can go to Missouri State Court and bring them in. You might not be able to bring them into Illinois. Probably in this case you could. But let's say the accident happened in Missouri. Okay. And you're, you live in Illinois. You say, okay, I'm suing this person. File a case in Cook County. And they go, uh, I'm... I've never been in Illinois in my whole life. You can't uh, drag them to Illinois court for the for the lawsuit. You'd have to go to Missouri, and that would be true even in federal because court because it happened there. Because it happened there, and they have no they have no what we call basis of jurisdiction. Um, but let's say they have an aunt who lives in Illinois. They're visiting them all the time. Okay, uh, that's enough, and that's probably enough to. And if, especially if the accident happened in Illinois, right? That would be enough to bring it in Illinois state court, um, or if it was an Illinois citizen. Whatever. Sure. Okay. Sure. So. Um, so you file at either state or federal court. Um, let's say you're in state court. Um, you go through uh, your initial pleadings. They can file a motion to dismiss your complaint. They could say um, the complaint as it is written does not state a claim that's recognized under Illinois law. Okay. Uh, this is a car accident. It's almost certainly going to be... Yeah, right. You're, you probably won't have one of those. So then you go to the next step, which is discovery. And so at discovery... Um, there's written and oral discovery. So written, you get to ask for all the documents that they have. Um, you, you get to request, you get to ask questions, which are called interrogatories, and they get to do the same to you, and you exchange those back and forth. And then you do depositions, and a deposition is like you sit down with someone, there's a court reporter there, but there's no judge. The judge isn't present, not a part of it. So, but everything up to the deposition point would just be between, like, the client or the like just between the parties yeah yep. and, that and would all be like stuff that was just running through your office for instance or a yeah. law office yeah so trading around the papers the you know asking for the documents lining things up what's the like timeline on that it can really depend i mean Probably. i think you know usually you try and get it done within 90 days yeah, um okay. of the the written part um, sometimes it can be longer, sometimes shorter, just depending, you know. Sure. The attorney on the other side is going to be out of town in the month of May. Sure, right. So, okay, we're going to kick it in a, another 30 days. Uh, you have some medical documents that are crucial to the case, let's say, but your hospital sucks at getting you paperwork. Gotcha. Well, we're going to take some extra time to That's get through That's exactly this. why I asked the question, because I knew there had to be just like... Things from all sides that could fuck with that yeah, timing. Yeah, and it's absolutely okay to go into the judge to, within reason and say, you know, judge, we're going to need an extra 30 days. We can't because, do the deposition yet. We're yeah, still trying to... We're trying to work out this. Or, you know, you want... Um, it's a car accident. You want uh, this per- the other person's medical records, but you're the one suing them, and they're like, we don't have to give you uh, our medical records, and so you have a fight about it. Sure, and sure, sure. You bring sure, it to sure. the judge and whatever. Uh... Um, Okay, so depositions. So then you get to depositions. That's still just the parties. So there's a court reporter there. It's a written, sworn record. You, you take an oath. You do the whole thing. But it's just the attorneys and... Everyone the, gathering information. Yep, yeah, everyone still. gathering information. Still, probably another 90 days there, maybe longer. Would you um, do that more than once? Yeah, you do as many depositions as you feel like you need. So okay. probably the parties. So in your car accident case, um, let's say that there was a witness to the car accident, you and the other driver, okay... So probably the other side is going to want to take a deposition of you. You're going to want a deposition of the driver. And someone's probably going to want to depose the witness sure. who saw everything happen. Sure. You know, or at least get a statement from them um, of some kind that's notarized and sworn, etc. So then you go through all that. At that point, the other side has a chance to file what's called a motion for summary judgment. 
excuse me, the motion for summary judgment says we don't even have to go to trial on this because it's so it's clear that we win. Gotcha. You know, based on everything we've collected so far, it is clear that we win. No need to go for it. And these happen in employment discrimination cases. There's probably a motion for summary judgment in eighty to ninety percent of the cases. Wow. Because the only from the would it be the defendant? It's always always the defendant, so the employer in those cases who files it. And the reason why defendants file it um, is a few, well, a few reasons. One, even if they have a bad case, sometimes they file it because they're it being unethical and they want. Well, yeah, well, they guilty. want. Yeah, and they want to. The jury's never going to hear about it if it goes to jury Give trial. It a but, shot. but they might be unethical. They might want to build a client for more. They might just totally, uh, you know, have a, a poor estimation of their chance of winning. So maybe they sincerely believe that they'll win. So you you, know. you think it gets filed like eighty to ninety percent of the time? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yes. How yeah. often is it uh, successful? Good question. I, I think the most recent stats I've seen is that the majority of employment discrimination suits do not end in a plaintiff's verdict. Okay. So the defense wins most of the time. And it's wow. hard, and they're hard, but I don't think that number accounts for settlement, oh. which a lot of good cases will settle out at some earlier because stage. Because the employer is like, oh, yeah, oh, we fucked up. <laughs> yeah, well, and in employment discrimination, there's an interesting layer that's not added to most cases. So you... I uh, want to sue your employer for gender discrimination. Okay, you, you get fired, you want to sue for gender discrimination. So you have to, before you go to court, file uh, a charge of discrimination with either the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, so that's the federal EEOC, or the Illinois Department of Human Rights. Oh. And, and so you you have to file with either one, and that, processing those charges takes sometimes years. I mean, Ugh. it would not be uncommon... And, and with those, so let's say you go to the Illinois Department of Human Rights, um, you're going to have a thing called a fact-finding conference where you sit down across the table from management and their lawyer, and they sit with you, and there's an investigator, and you each talk about what happened. And sometimes at those, you'll settle the case, or it'll be referred to mediation because the defendant realizes, like, let's not waste money on legal fees that can make this case go away, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, let's not have ourselves spend money against ourselves and then maybe spend money in the end anyway. After it's figured out that we're in the wrong, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that, but you know, that process can commonly take a year plus. That's crazy. Um, just depending, you know, and they're very backlogged in a lot of those or agencies and organizations. So, you know, you look at that, but that's an opportunity to settle. And so having that mechanism, I think, does lead to more settlements and things like okay. that. So it skews it a little bit. Okay. But, but the tough thing about Employment discrimination cases versus your hypo- the hypothetical car accident case uh-huh. is that, uh, you know, in a car accident, it's clear that there's a harm. Yes. You, your car got smashed. Sure. And you probably got hurt. Um, it's clear who did it. Right. You know, because uh, it's the person driving the other car most of the time. Right. You know, and uh, it's really less about, like, what someone's mental state was and more about what was the physical thing that happened. Yeah. Whereas in employment discrimination... You know, we have to prove something is a harm, so uh-huh. it's like that performance review thing sometimes. Right. You know, terminations, that's easy enough. Uh, you have to prove that the person who did it, you know, sometimes it's not clear who the person who actually made the decision, or you believe it's one person. Sure. You know. And it's something that they were getting from someone higher up. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or vice versa, you know, the employer tries to hide what happened yeah. because, you know, so they really downplay individual A's involvement and play up individual B. When in reality, you suspect that individual oh, A so was the real like decision maker. Throwing someone else under the bus. But yeah. Well, yeah. Except that, so you know, individual A 
let's say, I don't know, had three sexual harassment cases against oh. him, and, and he's... So you wouldn't want... <laughs> and he said it's a bunch gone. of horrible things to you in the workplace, and he said, you know, we hate having women around here. Right. Individual B is an HR rep you've never met and happens to be a woman. And so what happened when you're fired, let's say, is individual A called B and said, you we know, gotta we got to get rid of her, and then individual B said, okay, sounds good. But then when you get to this phase, the defendant's going to... Try and make it sound, and you know, this is well, their right to put on well, a case. This it way, it was actually individual B's yeah. thought process that you weren't. Yeah, precisely. Wow. You know, and then at the end, you also have to prove intent. So you have to prove right. not only all those other things, but that a, a specifically discriminatory reason motivated it. So it's an acceptable defense to an employment discrimination suit to say we just didn't like her. Yes. Uh, or you know, we promoted you know Johnny over here. But that's because Johnny is my brother-in-law. Oh. And it's the fact that he's my brother-in-law, not the fact that he's a male. Wow. You, you know, and so now those things make things fishier. You know, yeah, if I, I was going to say, really? Like nepotism? <laughs> yeah, So, but, you know, so if you have a bad reason like that, it's... You Still know, favorable to it just being purely... Well, uh, you, you could very... So let's say, let's say the defendant says, I fired her not because she's a woman, just because I don't like her. <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds fishy. Right. So probably that's going to get to go to a trial, and the jury can decide whether on that. or not it. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Uh, in in working with the lawyers who take our classes, one of them was talking about like kind of a similar case where someone it didn't have to do with employment, but that someone was arguing that like the uh, like race played into what yeah, happened, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and then in someone's like testimony they reference something like yeah he was wearing a cowboy hat and jeans like a you know like the Mexicans do and said it like very casually and yeah. everyone, everyone was just like ooh <laughs> like, and and so and so then like the lawyer just had a field day cuz he was like absolutely hey uh see that guy over there what's he wearing you know and it's just mean, like you, some I, I, a lot of our lawyers come from like Texas and Oklahoma yeah. so they're probably like who knows how many people uh, not to be like stereotypical yeah. but like who knows how many people wearing jeans but that was literally what yeah. the guy had said on the hey, stand you did, you wouldn't believe the things that people say still. Yeah. You, oh, you I know. can't imagine. And, and I a lot can't of it, imagine. You know, a lot of it's a credi- credibility determination. So our client says, you know, this guy said, I'm firing you because you're a woman. But then, of course, the guy who, who said it, even if he really said it, is going, no, no, no. No, 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 Yeah, 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 you know? sure. Yeah, and so, but these cases are tough because you have to prove this intent. And so a lot of times they'll bring summary judgment because they'll be like, well, she was fired, but she was... You know, this reason was what also it was, in, yeah. or you can't prove it was gender discrimination, right? You know, right, and right, you won't right. be able to prove it at trial because you have evidence that it was fishy and whatever, but you don't have any evidence that it was discrimination. Sure. And so that—that's the tough thing. So, so, so you go the, through you, after the des- deposition. Yeah. <laughs> after the depositions, you go through summary judgment. You made it through. Congratulations. Um, that might have taken you. Uh, we had one that came back, a decision that came back on that in 30 days recently in one of our cases. It might take you a year and a half That's to crazy. get a decision on that, depending on the court, the judge, and how swamped they are. So, you know, at this point, your case has been going for a while. Yeah. Uh, but now, congratulations, you finally have a hearing date. Um, <laughs> so, congratulations, your case can be a case. Yeah, your case can be a case. <laughs> you know, no, your car accident case, probably you got through a lot of this faster. Yeah. You know, if you didn't just settle it. In the first place. So, 
okay, your case gets to be a case. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. You go, you go, it's heard before either a judge, you can have just a judge hear the case. Okay. Or you can have a jury. So you have a jury of either six or 12 of your peers. How does that get decide. determined? You get to pick the, in Illinois at least, you get to pick whether you want a jury of six or a jury of 12. Um, if your cause of action is one that you can get a jury for. Or a for. judge. Or a judge, yeah. Uh, and the parties decide. Uh, it's the plaintiff's right in actions where juries are available, which isn't all actions. Okay. Um, it's the party's right, if you can ask for a jury, to ask for a jury. Okay. So, okay. Would so, you typically? Like, is there... It just, uh, we definitely would, because juries tend to be sympathetic toward our clients. That makes total sense. You know, yeah. much more than judges would Cause tend that, to Yeah, because anyone on a jury is like, yeah, Fuck the man. <laughs> and, and honestly, it's, it's a service to our clients because a lot of our clients, what they really want is to be heard. Yeah, sure. You know, and to have a decision and to ha- to be able to tell their story and yeah. redress a, a true wrong that was done. Of course, of course. You know, and I would say even in the cases we lose, most of the times our clients have been wronged in some real way. You know. Yeah. Um, and Wait, even you think even in the cases that you lose? Yeah, it, we just can't prove it's discrimination. Wow, yeah. You know, because most people don't walk in our door... Unless something bad happened to him. And honestly, it's my job as a lawyer to tell you if you have a bad case. Yeah. So usually we don't take a case where there's oh, sure. nothing okay. there. Like, yeah. I have an ethical duty. If you come to me, I, I may be, you know, fucking broke. But I have a duty to tell you, like, sorry, there's, I don't see it. a case here. Good. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can hire me. We can try it. But I don't think it's going to work. Sure. You know? Or if it's a really bad case, I... Can't take it. I'm yeah. ethically bound like, not to take it. No, thank you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. So, okay. So we've been through all these hoops. You, you win your jury trial. Okay. You know, congratulations. Uh, well, now the defendant decides they're going to appeal the decision. Maybe you oh appealed summary judgment, yeah. and that added time to the proceedings. So, right. in Illinois court, the first level of appeal is the um, is the Illinois appellate court. Uh, and then above them is the Supreme Court of Illinois. And in the federal system, and then above the Supreme Court of Illinois is the United States Supreme Court. Right. But the United States Supreme Court will only hear an appeal from a state court if it's a federal issue. So it's a federal oh. statute or it's a constitutional matter. Okay. Um, and there's a bunch of weird doctrinal things that go into deciding certain certain cases whether that applies. Sure. Um, I think that's called the Rooker-Feldman Doctrine, if you're really interested. The Rooker-Feldman. <laughs> uh, okay, so... Over, you know, but in in federal court, you have the, in Illinois, the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers uh, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Indiana, and okay. every state is assigned to some larger court of appeals, um, and then the Supreme Court is the top-level review for that. Sure. Uh, and both the Illinois and federal Supreme Court don't have to hear cases that are appealed to them. Wow. Uh, so that's why the federal Supreme Court hears like 80-some cases a year, probably... I would guess ten times that many applications to hear cases go to them, and they're hearing the appellate courts are hearing criminal cases, civil cases, you know. Everything. So if they decide not, so the appeal just gets like denied, I guess, if they don't want to hear it. Yeah. So what happens is, so if you're the Supreme Court and you don't want to hear it, <laughs> which is also like, if I don't want to hear it, <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they do it real oh, sassy. You, you got a case. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, they do it super sassy. <laughs> and they call you on the phone to deliver yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, uh, Wait, it was just like the third time one or the other of us had said they don't want to hear it, and it was making me internally laugh every time. <laughs> oh, they don't want to hear oh, it. Oh, no, I do not want to hear it. I have heard enough. But thank you, Justice Ginsburg. <laughs> you hang up, you call your client. Uh, 
So actually, the way the way you R B G told me she did not want to hear. <laughs> she did not it. want any of it. Not a piece of it. She said. Uh, so so let's say you go to the court of appeals and uh, you win or lose doesn't matter. Well, let's say you lose. Okay, so you lost to the court of appeals. At this point, you can file what's called a writ of cert. And so you, a writ of certiorari, uh, which I'm sure I just butchered the pronunciation of. And, and that's, uh, you say that I want to certify C-U-R-E. these. C-U-R-E. It's, it's C-E-R-T-I-O-R-I. Oh. Or maybe A-R-I at the end. I need to write it to see it. No idea. Anyway, it's a writ of cert, and that says, I want you to decide these issues that were wrongly decided below. Okay. Um, usually the Supreme Court will only take a writ of cert if... Um, the appellate courts have all come out differently on an issue, oh. um, or it's an incredibly important issue for some reason that they feel, or if it's a very clear, if it's very clearly wrong, sometimes they'll take it just to deny it, and they can deny it without hearing oral argument on it, wow. and just send it back down to, to change it. Like and that happens. Try this. Yeah, that probably happens three to five times a term. Wow, that the courts like this was just so wrongly decided. What, what's a term? Uh, a term runs from October through. I believe June. Okay. For the Supreme Court. And so, you know, the Supreme Court, you, you write your issue, so in your employment discrimination case, you say, uh, this should have been an adverse employment action, you know, whatever it is. Uh, under this Seventh Circuit used standard A, um, the First Circuit uses standard B, and then all the other circuits, whatever. Okay. And then they, maybe they say, yes, we'll take it, uh, but that's like a lightning strikes moment. I mean, most cases don't even go up on appeal, really. Um, and if they go on appeal, that's usually the end of their life. Like, you wouldn't even apply for cert most of the time. Wow. Um, because it's just money. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, at that point. Like, and most of the time, uh, uh, and if they deny cert, so the court says, we don't want to hear it, uh, <laughs> then whatever the appellate court said is the ruling. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Wow. Man. Ugh. Yeah, it's a real it's a real jumble. I mean, yeah. truly it is. Now, most ca- look, a lot of cases go a lot faster than what I'm describing uh-huh. to you. They don't have that administrative layer. Um, yeah, I'm sure it just varies so much as to yeah. like what's clear cut and what's not. Yeah, and you know, in a lot of cases, you won't your car accident case. You won't have summary judgment. You probably won't have a motion to dismiss. So you're going to file it. Then you're going to go, you know, through six months of discovery, and then you're going to get a trial date. I mean, okay. you, you know, or whatever. So right. Um, but, like, isn't there something to be said, and I'm going to bring this up, and you can, like, talk about it if you want, but I don't know what your familiarity is. Um, the very first episode of Serial. Sure, yeah. She, Sarah Koenig, made a big point to um, draw attention to the fact that, like, the case that was being tried was tried, like, months after it actually happened. Yes. So it was like a day that like no one could remember clearly. Yeah. It's a it's a real issue. And, and I do want to be clear too, I'm talking about the civil court. I mean criminal court proceeds oh, in yeah. its own way. I Just, guess that's true. That's yeah, my lawyerly di- that's facts. my lawyerly disclaimer. Sure. And you have a right in criminal court to have a trial within a certain number of days, although that can get extended for various gotcha. reasons. Okay, that makes sense. Excuse me, so but you know, but you're right. I mean, it's a real problem. Sometimes we're talking to people, and it's a day that's incredibly fresh in our client's memory because it's very important to them. Right. And it was not important to important witness B. Of course. So they haven't kept that fresh in their minds. Yeah. You know, certainly that happens sometimes. You know, sometimes I'm sure it's happened and benefited us for you know in whatever way. I, you know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a real issue, and it's an unfortunate thing. And a lot of 
courts, I think, are trying to focus on speeding up the judicial process, uh-huh. you know, in terms of how... But then it's like you get dicey, mistakes get made. Well, you know, it's a, real, it's a real question. And, you know, and I think the courts, by and large, could be funded better than they are, you know, um, could have more judges, more facilities and things, and you just don't. I mean, the... I, yeah, I, what do you think the biggest stopgap is? I think it's... You know, if you're in federal court, there's so many cases in federal court. You've got criminal cases, civil cases, you have motions all the time, you've got trials to hold, you have all these things taking up your time. So, you know, it just makes sense that some motions that are really big, you know, you get a brief and you have all these exhibits and everything else and briefing back and forth. Yeah. Like, it makes sense that might sit for a year on your desk because you have so many other cases, you've, you know, 200 cases on your docket that you need to give appropriate attention to. Yeah. And so I think that's a big part of it. Um, and you, But, you know, a lot of judges do work fairly fast. The Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, I think, on average, tries to decide cases within, like, I, I would guess, guess about two months, uh-huh. you know, from when it's been argued. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so, you know, they're a very efficient body. Um, and, and so it does happen, but I think that's a lot of the process. And clients cause delays because they can't get a hold of X document or they... You know, people get sick and they have to leave to the state, or you know, this happens or that, and that adds delay too. Or I'm sure, like financial means, would be a holdup in some cases. Yeah, you know, and, and you're allowed to pursue anything without an attorney. Certainly, uh-huh. but, you know, a lot of times when someone's proceeding without an attorney, which we call pro se, um, uh, they, uh, you know, pro se clients get a lot of help from the judge, but also there's a lot of minutia in the legal world and so it, it takes extra time to just deal with those things. To try to sort all that out. Yeah. Um, another legal thing that I've been consuming recently is Better Call Saul. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, but you are, but you have been a Breaking Bad Love Breaking person. Bad, yeah. yeah. I think you'll like it. I can't wait. I can't wait. I think uh, you'll like I'm it. I'm sorry to shut that down so early. I just no worries, man. No worries, no uh, worries. I, I wouldn't have dove into it uh, if you weren't familiar yet. Yeah. Uh, uh Honestly, I think one of the best legal system movies is My Cousin Vinny. Oh, yeah? Like, they do I everything... I have heard that cited before yeah. as, like, legitimate... Yeah, but they, like, they do that? all the rules right. Like, it's it's great. It's a great That's movie. That's great. Uh, I've never seen the whole thing. It's I think it's a delightful movie. Tragic. Uh, and it's it more or less is accurate. Uh, like, right down to qualifying an expert properly. I really? Yeah. Um, my, I would say one of my favorite courtroom movies, Liar Liar. Interesting, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, as a horrible liar, <laughs> that's, you know, you go to law school and you take Lying 101. Yes. Then you get to Lying 102. Right. 103 is terrible, that but... sounds so yeah, difficult. The lies are really complex when you, you get to lying to, You have to tell your wife that you're cheating on her. Well, it's, it's, so, it's so funny because truly, like... I forget sometimes that people hate lawyers. Yeah. But then also other times I'm like acutely aware. Like, and sometimes I'm like embarrassed to say I'm a lawyer because I'm like, ah, oh, God, are people going to think I'm just like some like asshole? It is such a weird stigma though. Yeah, it's totally weird. Uh, and I will say the, the profession is much more congenial than it used to be. Cool, and that's that, good. And that's even taught in law school. Like, basically, like, don't just fight with people for the sake of fighting because yeah. you're just going to waste everyone's time yeah. and money. I would say with the lawyers who come into our classes, a vast majority of them, I want to say 75 up percent, are com- extremely, uh, like, kind, yeah. eager to learn, uh, outgoing to the point of, like, wanting, when they find out I do comedy, they'll ask me 
everything about it. Yeah, more yeah. so than most of the scientists would even, because it's just like the nature of the personalities is different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's like an innate interest there. Um, and then, the, you know, there's that other like 25% who can be like, they're very obviously like, out for themselves yeah. they're like uh they can be condescending it, it's yeah. it's it's weird i mean i've made a point very much to i very rarely do the thing of like i'm a lawyer yeah like i hate when people do That's stuff like that rough. i mean i have used Especially, it on rare occasion but like not like that but more to be like look i you can chime in with actual experience yeah like I, I know what to look into at least sure. i guess to be like you know, or I'll have friends be like, I consulted a lawyer. It's sure. like more, more commonly. That is so funny. You know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. And, and there is that stigma. I also worry that lawyers are seen as being very boring. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, I think it's interesting to the point of like, I guess the stuff that I talked about earlier, like dicing all that out, it just seems so subjective. I just feel like it would be so impossible to be objective. Well, and that's one of the things that's fun about it, I guess, is it's more creative than you would think because there is a lot of, like, room for argumentation. How you spin the story, yeah. You know, like, uh, to use an example, so uh, earlier I I, st- I almost talked about this, so there are ultra-hazardous activities. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for which you are strictly liable, meaning if you are found to have done it, you are liable no matter what for the harms, even if they weren't foreseeable. Uh-huh. But, like, there's a great case where, um, apparently minks, when they get scared, devour their young. And, uh, so, blasting, um, like, with dynamite is an inherently dangerous activity, as sure. you might imagine. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and so... Even when done by, like, or companies? Yes, even okay. when done by companies, because you can only... At the end of the day, you're blowing up rocks with dynamite. Yes, yes. Like, you can yes. only take so many precautions. It is innately yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> horribly it's, dangerous. Yes, horribly dangerous. So, there's this case, and there's a real case, where um, they there's blasting on this mountain, and it's by a mink farm. And the blasting startles the minks, who then devour their young, like, basically ruining the stock of minks. Oh my god, what a bonkers specific thing. <laughs> Very specific, and so... Where was it? Like, when? I, I don't remember where it was. I mean, I'm sure I could look it up, but... Uh, I would assume this was, like, a while ago. Yeah, I think Do this is some time ago. <laughs> still exist? Probably. I mean, I feel like it was... They were... They had a good run when they used to make coats out of them a lot. I think they still do. I think yeah. you can still get a mink coat. Yeah, uh, I would think so. Yeah, and so... God, that's hilarious. But so the question is, like, blasting is dangerous because you have rock and explosions. So should, but... you, be, should you be liable... <laughs> When you startle a mink at a mink farm, totally unforeseeably, and they devour their young. And And not even, like, you didn't even, like, injure them directly. It was just, like, loud noises, eat your young. Exactly, exactly. And so it's like, (laughs) is that, does that count? I think in that case, they said it did not cover that. So that the mink owner was out of luck. Um, Or another. Oh, yeah, very sad. I mean, totally. All those baby minks. You know, but, but so there's a lot of, there's a lot of squeeze room, you know, I mean, the standards have a lot of like variability built into them. So criminal law beyond a reasonable doubt in civil law, it's a preponderance of the evidence. So you have to prove 50% that what you say happened, happened. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Preponderance of the evidence. Yeah, it's a preponderance of the evidence. It's literally just like 
Uh, you said you have to be able so, to prove 50%. Yeah, just anything beyond 50%. So more likely than not, your car accident, more likely than not, the other driver caused the case. So wow. if, if they find 51%, that was true. I mean, the jury would never give you this percentage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least it's not like in most that, states. It's like that um, uh, hands formula. Yeah, it's like the hand formula, yeah. yeah. Although in California, it's interesting, they have you assign the share of fault. Um, so you might be 79% at fault. Wow. And the other person would be... 21% at fault. And then the amount of damages you get are based on that percentage that's assigned. That is so crazy. Yeah. So, like, if the damages were $100,000 and it was only 79% your fault, you'd only have to pay, like, $79,000. $79, so that's called that pure negligence. Is... Or pure contributory negligence. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the old rule was if you were at fault at all... This is the old common law rule. If you were at fault at all, you could not recover anything. Wow. So if you were like 10% at fault, you had your headphones in and they were too loud and you got hit by a car. Oh, that sucks. Like, you're SOL. But that's... Most states have moved away from that now. I think that's... Yeah, because it's like... Oh, it like you were driving in the rain. Like I yeah, would yeah. think that would be like, oh, well, you're kind of at fault because you like put yourself into that situation. Yeah, well, you know, and yeah, I mean... So dicey that, like, so it's so interesting to me that this, like, this is. I love that you said it was creative, um, because we'll talk about that in a second for sure. But to me, this sounds like a nightmare. Sure, because Uh, I can't, like, I hate the, I hate gray areas. Yeah, and it's and And everything is a gray. (laughs) Absolutely, I mean, it all turns on minutia. I mean, and this is true. I mean, there are, like, I mean, this is true if it's contract law, and you have to, you know, there's an ambiguous contract provision, because you can't, you really can't draft a contract that's totally non-ambiguous, and so it's like, yeah, your lawyers are going to spend a long time fighting over whether (sighs) this one word, when used in this sentence, means In part 6A of... Yeah, we have a case right now, it's, um... It's these. Uh, it's it involves this statute um, called Leo's, the Law Enforcement Officer Safety Act, and uh, the idea behind it is that if you're a retired cop or law enforcement officer, you can um, carry a weapon on you, wow, uh, concealed um, across state lines. Leosa. But the tricky it's thing is... It's a part of that. It's a part of the act. Yeah, it's okay. a part of the act. So the tough thing is, though, you have to, in this case, we have to define what a law enforcement officer is. And so the statute says, like... You know, it's a police officer or any individual, uh, any individual uh, empowered to, or sorry, it's a law enforcement officer is an individual who's empowered to arrest any individual for any offense. Wow. So we want our guys to be able to have this apply to them. So what we're saying is that any individual for any offense means any one individual for any one offense. So if you could arrest any one person for any one offense, that's enough. What the other side is saying is that. That means that you have to be able to arrest any individual at all, irregardless of who they are or their status, for any offense at all, regardless of what the offense is. Oh my god. And like that's, I mean, pages of briefing on that one. um, Oh my god. And so it's very dry sometimes. But it's not even, man, it doesn't even, it's not that it sounds dry to me, it just sounds (laughs) like a nightmare. Like, I just like pouring over, like, because you can see both sides. And, like, it, I think it really takes a specific personality and type of person to be able to say, all right, this is my side. Yeah. This is, like like you said, you guys are fighting for it being any one individual. Yeah, yeah. 
and the other side is fine. And you have to convince yourself that that is the thing that... Yeah, and, and I, I think in that way, like, I used to think it was such BS that, like, lawyers always had to represent their clients and such. But I think that the, philosophically, on a whole, as the system, it makes sense. Because it's like, yep, even if I don't care about this or believe it, like... I'm going to make the best argument I can because I'm the only person to make that argument yeah, for these guys. And they course. deserve a fair... They, the, the legal system deserves to have the judge have the best presentation of each side of the of argument course. to make the decision. Yeah. And so that's like the philosophical thing that you lean on sometimes when you hit these very dry things where yeah. you're like... Well, this is my duty. Yeah, that's my cool. duty. Yeah. That's I mean, I can see that being... Yeah, it's not that I can't see it being a... Uh, a great, like, noble, interesting thing. To be true, sometimes, sometimes it is a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> it just... I, I Look, yeah. when I'm at work at, like, 10 o'clock some night, and I'm, oh. like, writing about oh, the use right, of the word the Annie... the last time I tried to... Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, the last time I tried to get you on the show, you're, I was like, can you record at, like, 10? And you're like, um, I might be at work until midnight. And I was like, woof. Um... Yeah, cool. That's awesome. Uh, the last thing I'll ask... Is how do you feel like your love of law and your interest in it and and your experience there has influenced your life both um, creatively and then just kind of in general? Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder. I wonder sometimes if it has detrimentally impacted me at times. Interesting. I'm sure you just overthink things pretty naturally. That's true of me even before I went to law school. going to be kind of a follow-up question yeah. was like where did the creative part of your life kind of fall into where the law school slash becoming a lawyer thing yeah I mean when I was in law school I was on a team at the playground so I did still did improv and for me Cloaca Cloaca yeah. yeah and then I started to do some comedy sports stuff and for me it was very important because I felt like the legal field is all about like or my job at least as a litigator or sure training you know in training for that is like Find the, find like the crack and pull it open. Yeah, you know, oh, like find like the thing that is wrong about what's being said to you, and think about everything very critically. And yeah. it was nice to have this thing that was like, just accept anything. Oh, like, sure. You know, like that yes and philosophy. Yeah. Like everything is good, and so. You know, I mean, I think in some ways it's probably made me a less pleasant person to be around sometimes. Because, like, <laughs> I mean, I like so, people can tell me something, and if. And sometimes I'll be like, this just is wrong. And I have to, like, balance, like, being, like, a good person and, like, just letting certain things slide and being like, yeah, but you know that doesn't make sense. Right. (laughs) But you just said logically doesn't follow. Right. Because it's just, like, innately part of what you do. I mean, I remember going to law school and one of the things that I was most afraid of, which sort of happened, I guess, but I like to think (laughs) I'm still mostly myself, is they're like, you're going to think like a lawyer. Like, you're going to think differently. And I remember being very afraid of that, the idea of, How like... How could you not be, yeah. Of course, yeah. And so I think I'm still the core person that I was before, but it's not a bad thing, necessarily. I think I more critically accept... Uh, more critically assess the things that I hear and am told. Um, and also, like, I put up with less bullshit than I used to. Good. Like, I think... I don't know. I mean, I think yeah. I'm pretty friendly. I, <laughs> you are! Yeah! <laughs> you know? Yeah, I would never... I would never guess... That you were a lawyer, and I don't think I don't like I don't think that's either like an insult or a compliment. I think it's just like I don't know. Yeah, it's just, and that's the thing is you know, but the thing is I I'm very competitive. Yeah. Uh, I do like to be right. Um, that's funny. You know, and so, so do I. It gets me in trouble. Oh boy. 
pan out to audience. Yeah, I did a, a lean on the fist for the podcast listeners. Uh, it gets me in trouble. Oh man, but you know, it's it, creatively. I think it's been a good thing in certain ways. I think I have less time and energy to write because I'm writing constantly. Oh, so I yeah. have a lot of experience like putting things together, but there's not always meat left on the bone to like do things that I just like. I feel you, boo. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the thing I, you know, earlier I had said, you know, you mentioned wanting to follow up. Like, I think what I do is creative though and that I think sometimes you're the most creative when you work within constraints. Yes. And so I have, like, big constraints I'm working with, and I have to find... And I think that's the way my creative life has aided my professional life. You know, I think the arrow runs that way, where it's, like, thinking about things in a less rigid way and, like, coming up with a creative solution within the constraints that you're given. Yeah. It seems like that is, like... (coughs) It seems like that's the the real hook in the art of law is finding the angle... Yeah, I you know I think about it like uh, they. I remember my grandfather talking to me one time. He's like, "Well, you know, he's like, do you know why all sh- windows on ships are round?" Yeah. He's like, "Because there's very high pressure, and anywhere you have a corner, mm-hmm. you have a place where pressure concentrates and can crack." And so I think like that's my job is like to like take a square window and just like pull at the edge, oh. you know, just like break it open. That uh, what a lovely analogy. I love that. Yeah, well, thank you. That's nice. uh, this has been so great. Yeah, I hope I wasn't too boring. <laughs> no, I learned so much. You know what? Someone, more than one person recently has told me that my podcast feels like, uh, it's like listening to two people talk that, well, I mean, typically the person saying this, in, a, in all cases, the person knows me. So, <laughs> whether or not they know the other person, but it's like, uh, both um, uh, uh, Mark Logsdon and my friend Eric Garneau both gave me this like same note recently that it was like it's just listening to two people that I like talk about something that I don't know about so by the end I've enjoyed myself and I've learned something <laughs> yeah. and I feel very strongly that this has achieved that I learned a ton well good yeah I'm glad and uh, uh, what a what a joy to share it with someone such as yourself what a nice time thanks for having me on this podcast thank you so much for doing it and I can't wait to uh, remake the Oscars on yeah. Sunday yeah. tomorrow uh, download it two days ago yeah yeah <laughs> if you're listening to this it's already out go download the remake uh, with me and Ryan Ben helping Rob and Josiah Rob Grabowski past guest of MBSing yeah yeah uh, uh, have you had Ben on yet Ryan Ben yeah, yeah, yeah. He was very early on. He <laughs> talked about the movie Backdraft. <laughs> it, and it was, like, perfect. It's so good. He loved it so much that it just worked. It That's just great. totally yeah. worked. Uh, you go, we go. Uh, the <laughs> thing that I say at the end of every episode and uh, is that I love you, and I mean that. This has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.